Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, another episode of the Stallone Podcast Network and Friends Show <laughs> with uh, yours uh-huh. truly, uh, Doug, Craig, and myself. And look, look at you, Doug. Show the audience here. You got the big Arnold Schwarzenegger, Expendables. Yeah, that's Barney Ross. In honor of the movie, I'm smoking a stogie. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. And we started promptly tonight too. That's that's commendable. Imagine, imagine that. <laughs> Show our Facebook guys there one more time. There, Doug. The Stogie. Oh, there it is. That'll last you like the next three recordings, Doug. <laughs> you never see me smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You got to have the right guns to hold that kind of cigar, and I think you pull it off just well. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. No problem. <laughs> I want to send an infinite amount of love out to everybody that voted for this month's movie. You did me proud, folks. Craig really wanted part three. He was dreading it. So we're talking Expendables 2. I'm sure some of our listeners are probably wondering why we're not doing Expendables 1. The answer is there's no reason. <laughs> we just <laughs> – I think I, – I, I, I was going to say that's a good enough reason for me. There's no reason. No, there's no particular reason. And I, and I would say that, without a doubt we're going to – That stop re- us from doing stop or my mom will shoot or <laughs> – <laughs> Exactly. I thought it would just be fun to put Expendables Part 2 versus Expendables Part 3 as a vote. Because I think if you put Expendables Part 1 against any of those three movies, I think for the most part, Expendables 1 would have won the vote to review. To your point, Ryan, there really isn't, aside from like the church stuff with Bruce Willis, there's not really a lot of continuity. I think a majority of the audience that went and saw Part 2 didn't have to see part one to get everything they needed to get out of that movie. This is a sequel the same way a James Bond is a sequel. It's interchangeable. The characters, yes, they carry over, but there is very little, if any, storyline. Let's get into the specs here first. This is Expendables 2, directed by action auteur Simon West. Uh, You guys uh, might know him from movies like Con Air. He crashed a plane into the Hard Rock right across the street from me back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. That's right. That big scene. That's right. That's right. And were you around when that was happening? No, I was living safely far away in New Jersey. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that safe. was 97. Has New Jersey ever been safe? <laughs> That's a great point. With Doug on the beat, it sure is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. Yes, a little love thrown my way. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Expendables too. I'm excited to talk about for the reasons that Craig is, but I would have been just as excited to talk about Expendables Part 3 for different reasons. And I'm going to save my thoughts for that one when we eventually get to it, because we're going to get to all size films at some point, I'm sure. Expendables Part 2 is a lot of fun. At the end of the day, it's a lot of fun. I binged Expendables 1 and Expendables 2 back-to-back. Expendables 1, although a great movie, it was a joyride. There was a lot more goofiness, a lot more jokes, and uh, a lot more uh, fan service for, you know, the old-time 80s action movie fans like us. It was perfect, and I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, like, a a fun thrill ride. I I hate that term, but I thought it was. Sure. Hey, look at you. That's that's like 80s, 90s review. (laughs) So it's an old-school review for an old-school type movie. I would have to agree. I mean, this movie is, like, action set piece after action set piece. There's barely any room for, you know, like a bathroom break or a concession break. Most movies have that chunk of the film a 10 or 15 minute block where they're just doing exposition between action set pieces. But this really like the action was like one set piece after another. And I mean, 
that's commendable in this day and age, especially in like the era of the Marvel movies and stuff. And when Expendables 2 came out, Marvel was what on their third year of making those films. It's got a high percentage of action to downtime. The cast is all great. You know, you can say what you want about Stallone. He knows how to make movies like this. Before we get into the plot line, we actually have some sort of semblance of order to our show. After about, this is, I think, our ninth or tenth review, by the way. So, congrats to us. Trio of hosts. I get, oh, we should introduce ourselves first. So, I'm, I'm Ryan from the Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast. Oh, yeah. I have a rant. Okay. So, you guys introduce yourselves. And I want to get into my rant before we get into the review. You go ahead, Craig, with your introduction, then Doug. Yeah, I'm Craig from the Three Stallone podcasters podcast <laughs> and occasionally when there's a full moon or Haley's comet the slidecast we're holding out hope for that judge dread episode <laughs> oh my god no, i opened it up the other day i'm like 10 minutes into the edit for it i've got another hour and 35 minutes to go and <laughs> so I, the reboot I, reboot will be out by the time this comes out i know i wish i could just farm my edits out to like a work farm in india or something and have some guy getting paid three cents an hour editing my podcast for me <laughs> <laughs> you can farm it out it'll cost you a lot more than three cents an hour though <laughs> i mean with all that sly cast money coming in oh, now, it's I like... <laughs> a big money big money i'm doug from rocky minute uh, where we break down the Rocky movies one minute at a time. Uh, we have two seasons, two Rocky 1 and 2 fully completed, and we are gearing up to start Rocky 3. Awesome. The reason why it's important that we introduce ourselves is because we are three separate individuals who run three separate podcasts, but once a month or once every month-ish because of our busy lives, we... Uh, get together because we're friends online one day we'll meet in real life and we're all sly fans rocky fans ramble fans whatever and we're sly fans number one so we get together to talk about movies that aren't about rocky we all get together and just do it with our own point of views but our recordings go on our separate feeds for everyone to enjoy from the separate podcast now here's my rant though we all have podcast pages right there's the Slycast facebook page there's the Rocky Minute Facebook group page, and there's the Going the Distance page, okay? We have individuals who don't understand that they have liked and or followed our respective pages, that these are podcast pages. Mm-hmm. These are not fan sites in the sense of, like, we're just Rocky fans and just posting pictures about Rocky or, or Stallone or Rambo or whatever. Mm-hmm. We are designed and dedicated to our podcast well, like I have a top fan badge, you know, you get those top fans. I had a top I'm one of your top fans. Yeah, grats. Well, I know you listen to my show, so this isn't yeah. about you. <laughs> so I had a top fan person comment on one of my latest posts saying, Hey, I might check out your podcast. They've warranted the top fan badge, but they've never listened to a freaking episode. And then I've got people who will message me, and I know you guys have had this happen to you. And usually, no offense. Well, I don't care. They don't speak English anyways. But they, they'll message they'll message my, uh, my inbox thinking that I'm Sylvester Stallone. And then, yeah. and then I've had it <laughs> yeah, I'm like wishing me and my daughters a happy birthday. And then uh, – <laughs> and lastly <laughs> – Lastly, I've done these some of these live broadcast reviews with other guest hosts for my just strictly for the Going the Distance podcast, and I've had people say to me, "Stop talking and just show the movie." <laughs> what? <laughs> show the movie. Show the movie. They want me to stream the movie instead of reviewing. <laughs> live stream it. Yeah, they think the little thumbnail of us reviewing these movies or talking about Rocky Five or whatever it is we're talking about. They want to see the movie. They don't want me to 
podcast. Do you guys have any of this the same type of, of experience? Yeah, I've gotten the message before where people think I'm sly or think our page is sly or think we're somehow affiliated with sly and that I can pick up the phone and get him on the phone for this person. I will say based on the engagement, it definitely feels like there's a lot more people that follow the Facebook page and then actually listen to the podcast. Yeah, I, I agree. Once in a while, people post something relevant to Sly. I post every episode of Rocky Minute, just like you do, Craig, and you do, Orion, also. When I post a screenshot from the minute that we're covering, somebody will throw out quotes of the scene that I posted. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great quote from the episode. We talk about that <laughs> in, in very much depth and detail. So instead of just throwing out quotes, check out the episode. Right. I don't know if people understand or get it. Between the three of us, we have thousands of followers on our Facebook pages yeah. combined. I mean, what do you think we have combined listeners? Dozens? <laughs> I, that- I, I'd say we could optimistically say hundreds. I mean, Okay, all right. <laughs> I was downplaying it a little bit. I was hoping no. hundreds. but Yeah, I think we have. Oh, yeah. We, we're, we're, I know on our show we're the hundreds for, for downloads. And I know we get on our youtube channel we get about depends on the show some of them like the assassins has close to twenty thousand views i don't know what that's about but that's the stopper looking to watch the assassins probably <laughs> I, I guess so but then there are other ones like stopper mumble shoots good the specialist is a high one as well so is over the top you know what's funny about that though ryan i used to do a podcast called camel clutch cinema i think we've talked about it on this show before yeah bulk of our episodes we put up on youtube and one of them i believe the first episode the Marine with John Cena, we looked one day and it had like over a hundred thousand views, which just was mind blowing. And, and again, I think it was just people that were looking to watch the Marine. And then when they found out it wasn't the Marine, they promptly X'd out. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. And uh, some of the, uh, the assassins one with almost 20,000 looks or views or check-ins, we've got a lot of downvotes. And I think those downvotes come from people saying, how come this isn't the movie? Okay. Thanks for screwing up the algorithm people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all good. So at the end of the day though, I'm grateful for the, for those that follow and like our pages, it gets the word out for other people. So when you like stuff, maybe you have a friend or a family member that wants to listen to a podcast. So they see that algorithm on their feed that you've liked something. So it's all gravy. It's just, bewildering to me because i don't like or follow any page unless i know why i'm liking or following it but that's just me right right i think people are just so blinded by stallone that they see something remotely (laughs) related for sure yeah (laughs) that's a good point craig craig yeah we stepped on you a little bit there but yeah craig brings up an excellent point it does speak to the fandom yeah uh that he provides so but our buddy sean is checking in from i must break this podcast he feels Uh, our pain feels our pain oh where's the chat did i miss it in Facebook. Yeah. Oh, there it and, is. Yeah. And Sean made a good case for Expendables 3. Sorry, buddy. Uh, not today. It's going to happen. One we'll, day. One we'll day. Up, we'll put up the vote. I would like to do, for the record, not next vote, but I think we're going to do Escape Plan 2 versus Backtrace. Jesus oh, wow. Christ. <laughs> Let's see which dumpster fire wins that vote. <laughs> You're chasing the dumpster fires again, oh, man. Oh, I love it. Expendables 2 came out in 2012. I don't know the exact month. I don't have Wikipedia August. in front of me. Oh, thank you. Big uh, summer blockbuster. Yeah, it was $100 million to, to make, which is it's pretty sizable. You know, Stallone doesn't make those big movies anymore. That's $100 million towards a Stallone vehicle. I think a lot of it went towards the guy's pay. No, You know, there's a lot of names in this film. Simon West was the director. 
very accomplished. I like his work. He doesn't he hasn't done a lot lately, and he hasn't done a lot of huge movies that have done well. This might be one of his biggest films, other than Con Air. Lastly, though, it made three hundred million worldwide, so it definitely made its money back. Definitely greenlit mm-hmm. for a, a part three. This movie looks really great. It has a great cinematography, great lighting. The majority of the film was filmed in Bulgaria, and I believe the action takes place in Bulgaria. So they're able to implement both Bulgaria as where the action takes place, and they did the majority of the filming there as well, which I found very interesting. And the lighting that they used was a lot of natural light. They filmed in the wintertime, so a lot of the lighting was uh, natural. Doug, do you want to do your overall what the movie's about? My two-minute synopsis? Yeah, everyone uh, take, All right, a break, uh, take, a, take a pee break or hit skip on your uh, iPod. <laughs> <laughs> or go watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the people want to know. Yes, do. and I want to talk. Uh, you know, somebody somebody said I don't talk enough, so, so that's here we right. Go. Don't let me push you around. Uh, I hope that guy's listening. What's his name again? Hanan or Ronan or something? What was his name? Anyway, <laughs> I don't even remember. All right. So when we last left our band of mercenaries, they were having some knife throwing fun after liberating the island of Vilena. Uh, this time, they're already knee deep in a rescue mission in Nepal. They locate their billionaire target, and they also find and rescue Barney Ross's adversary, but fellow good guy trench who got caught trying to find the same billionaire everybody gets away and they kill a ton of people back home everything's great they're having beers drinking at a bar not just a bar the old point bar the most filmed bar in the south oh is it it's in new orleans it's been in countless movies if you asked me in 2012 was when i think i went to new orleans i probably could have told you a lot more information about it i went in and had a drink at that bar sat at that bar Looked at that pool table. That's the actual bar they filmed the movie at, so it's pretty cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, nice. Look at that. All right. But we all remember Church from the first movie. He tracks down Barney again and lists the gang for another job. Uh, They got to go track down some Chinese plane that crashed in Albania and retrieve the black box. But Church insists that this girl, Maggie Chan, goes along with them. So they go and they land in the mountains and find the wreckage of the box. During the retrieval, the new group member that was in part one, Billy, gets taken by a villain named villain who takes the case they retrieved before killing billy <laughs> maggie tells barney that the case contained blueprints for an old soviet mine that holds weapons grade plutonium so now we have our stakes but barney's not after the plutonium he wants revenge so during a brief respite barney and the gang get pinned down and they get their asses saved by chuck norris on his recommendation the gang goes to a nearby village to enlist more help from the villagers but they can only find women and children the men from the village have been taken as slaves by the bad guys, by villain, to dig in the mines for the plutonium. So it's not villains, Villain. Villain clears the mine. Or Villain. 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 I know. I just can't. I can't help myself. Villain or Villain, as Barney yeah. calls him, yes. clears the mines of all the, <laughs> of all the plutonium, which he intends on selling for millions. Barney crashes the plane into the mine just as the bad guys are about to kill all the slaves. The mine collapses because Vlan blows the supports and the mine collapses. So everybody, all the good guys and the slaves are trapped. But our old friend Trench, Arnold Schwarzenegger, saves them. They take a helicopter to the airport where Vlan plans to load the plutonium onto a a plane. Huge firefight with all the comedy you can hope for and all the the meta references and everything you can hope for. Barney goes mano a mano with Vlan and kills him. Valane, I don't know how to say his name. Valane. The end. The end. Everybody saved. Plutonium doesn't fall into the hands of the bad guys. That's the end. Great job. And Thank I'm, you. I'm Thank glad you. we got that out of the way because I just want to talk about stuff. I want to talk yeah. about what makes this film work. This is not a perfect film. 
by any stretch of the imagination. What do you guys want to talk about? Positives, negatives, or just talk about scenes that were positive and negative? I want to talk about Chuck Norris's grooming routine and how long it takes Chuck Norris to get that mug to look exactly the way it does, what kind of grooming techniques are going on with that beard, how much Just For Many goes through in a month. Well, he's, um, he's what, 71 in, he's when a, this was filmed? Yeah, he was yeah. 71. He came out of retirement, so he's two years younger than Stallone is now during the filming of this of this movie. And he, he was officially tired from rea- from a- from reacting, from acting. He, well, you're right. He's also <laughs> retired from reacting. He's unable to move his face because of all the plastic <laughs> surgery. <laughs> and how about those choppers, man? I was envious of, the, oh, of those man. Things, man. But I got to tell you, I got a kick out of the sort of the playing up the Chuck Norris memes. I heard another rumor that you were bitten by a king cobra. Yeah, I was. But after five days of agonizing pain, the cobra died. That's corny shit, but man, it made me laugh. Here's the thing about this film, because Stallone actually said that he himself said, and he wrote and directed part one. And he actually said that he had trouble himself for part one for tone. And I don't want to talk too much about it because when we get to talk about part one, we'll talk about this. But he actually had trouble with part one to how he wanted to make the tone of the film. Did he want it kind of dark and brutal? Did he want to have comedy and light? You know, make, you know, the self-referential. So it looks like for part two, they did go a little bit more towards the self-referential. And A little? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and though there's a part of me that I guess and maybe the first viewing, funny enough, the first viewing of it, it was kind of fun. But for repeat viewing, it lo- loses its luster quite quickly. The self-referential, like we get it. It wasn't until I saw the movie yesterday and today I watched it in two parts. But when I watched the movie for this review again, I watched it through the eyes of, man, I really wish they stuck to... A grittier film that had you can have like you name Commando, Predator, even Rambo Part Two. It's gritty. Those are gritty films, but they have comedy relief because you can't be so like the whole way through, right? You know, stick around. But then the next scene, he's getting torn up by a predator. Like it's cool. Felt like the dialogue it wasn't real. Like there weren't real conversations, and that was the weakest part of the film. Visually, it looks good. It was cool to see everyone together. The action was brutal and violent, which was the problem for part three. Heads were being blown off. Chests were being blown away. So it was brutal, great violence, great action sequences. Everyone was having a good time. But the thing that was lacking was the interplay of the dialogue was so much and so juvenile that actually the, the words didn't make sense. Like This isn't real conversations. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with you there because there was some deep conversations between Barney and Maggie Chan that – Attempted to create some depth. Can I ask you something? Sure, go ahead. Why are you so nervous around me? I don't get nervous, Maggie. What is it then? I just like keeping a distance. Is it because you don't want to know any more people? Let's just say bad things have happened to people I've gotten close to. Not a good way to live. I know. Do you think about the young man who died? All the time. You don't talk about him much. No, that's how we deal with death. Can't change what it is, so we keep it light until it's time to get dark. And then we get pitch black. 
it was pretty hackneyed in my opinion, kind of overt, I think. And, you know, the whole, you know, I lost Billy, you know, I don't want anybody close to me. But I really thought that overall that that character worked and I really missed her in part three. It was really disappointing to see her sort of cycled out of the series because I thought she brought something really strong to part two. And I think it's kind of what makes part two, you know, as enjoyable as it is. Absolutely agree. There are scenes. That's what I liked was the the church dialogue scenes with uh, Church and Barney Ross. It's the Bruce Willis character when they were having conversations. Barney Ross. What do you want from the church? Not too good on the memory category, are you, Barney? You made a deal with me. You gave me your word. And you end up blowing up half of Atlanta, punching holes in a Bowie knife through a fellow CIA agent, even if he was a dirtbag. But what breaks my heart is that you stole $5 million from me. And for all this male pattern badness, I gotta put you in the deepest, darkest hole in Gitmo. No sunlight, but I kept you out. Right. Because I knew the day would come when you were going to pay me back. Today is that day. Keep talking. When they had the funeral scene for the Liam Hensworth character. I wish I could find something different to do besides just missing you, but I can't. The team's treating me good. We got each other's backs. And I want you to know that wherever I end up, I'll be one of the very best for you. And if some miracle happens and I come back again, I hope I'm still your man. Much love, Billy. Why is it the one of us who wants to live the most, who deserves to live the most, dies? And the ones that deserve to die keep on living. What's the message in that? Those are good moments, you know? Those are like those serious moments where I wish they kind of kept that tone. But then all the banter, like I know there are guys and stuff. And look, I'm in the military myself and guys do banter like this. They, they talk. Like I just wish it was flipped. I wish it was as much as the serious talking there was, it was the comedy. And then it was more of a grittier film. That's all. Like it, I love this film, but the selfish part of me, the Ryan Redux version would have been... More grit, less less humor, less self-referential. Just enjoy the fact that we have Arnold, Bruce, Chuck Norris, all these great guys in a film, but make it Lone Wolf McQuaid meets Rambo meets Terminator-type darkness. Like That would have been just that much more cool. I got a, a strong feeling that this was a copy of an 80s action film with all the quippy one-liners in the middle of all the chaos. The conversations with Maggie, there was things sprinkled in that had a little depth to it. And Barney, during Barney's eulogy, the line we say why does the one that wants to live dies and knows that deserve to die keep on living that was great probably the, the best line of the movie yeah hands down hands yeah. down but they really leaned into the goofiness and and kind of the breaths of fresh air during amidst all the chaos which was a staple in those old goofy action films yeah and i think I, I, that was intentionally done yeah the only thing i really had a huge issue was was the exchange between trench and church i'll be back you've been back enough i'll be back 
None of that made sense. That was the only time it really felt like they were overtly winking at the camera, and it insulted me. That's exactly what I'm getting. Where does it make sense? Like, why is this character saying this? They're supposed to be mercenary-type individuals in in a real world, in real Bulgaria. It's a real country, actually. We have a real country here. It's not some made-up country. They're doing some work here, real good guy work. Nobody's saying this in real life. Like, this isn't real conversations. They're referring to things... Are they referring to movies they saw in this world that have different actors playing Rambo? Well, yeah, because he says, what's next, Rambo? Who's next, Rambo? It's all those meta wink and nods at the audience. Craig, the three quips that you just brought up all happened in like a minute's time. It's very quick, rapid fire. You say, Ryan, that this is supposed to be a real world scenario in, in a real world country but it is the farthest thing from real world yanked a car door off of that little smart car yeah yeah <laughs> said that they, this, my, my shoe is bigger than this thing Trench, get in your shoe is bigger than this car shoot something that's a great that that sequence with the smart car that was fun that's a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. I love that sequence. I thought it was yeah. well written. When Arnold rips that door off, it looks so natural, so great. That's the kind of stuff I love. The dialogue of, you've been back enough, yippee Kaye. Why are we saying those, these words? Those probably could have been spread out a little bit more. I was not at any moment thinking that this is Lone Survivor or you know a Navy SEAL movie. This was a goofy shoot 'em up explosions, bombs going off. There's no way that five, six, seven mercenaries like this can survive an attack on hundreds of soldiers and everybody else dies except them. Not a single one of them gets injured. Well, that's always been the problem with this series. It's called The Expendables, and everybody but poor Billy dies. (laughs) Everybody but poor Billy survives. Yeah, just get rid of the poor man Hemsworth. He's he's the new guy. He's got to pay his dues first. Uh, I always feel bad for him because his brother is such a bigger movie star. You know what, though? I thought, with the exception of him constantly calling Barney sir, I don't know if it was the delivery that bothered me or just the fact that it didn't seem like They weren't in the military. Nobody else called Barney, sir. I don't know if it was just supposed to be playing on Billy's youth or or something. I thought his performance was really good. He was probably the best acting in the film. Him and, I apologize, I forget the Asian girl's name. Maggie Chan. (laughs) She was great. But Liam Hensworth, he did a great job. Hey, you in the Army, right? I can tell. Yes, ma'am. Three years. Last tour was Afghanistan, Kuna province. Didn't like it anymore? Uh long story I would like to hear it all right I uh, was trained as a sniper and an instructor too but I just really want to mix it up you know the action bit I just one time we we're stuck out in this hellhole valley about 30 Taliban opened up from these houses in the hills above us they got about eight of us pinned down bad so I called in for artillery support but no way says a captain didn't want to endanger the locals. So we scattered, some crawled to a ditch, some to a dry riverbed, and the rest bailed, but we were still stuck in the kill zone. And we battled for, I don't know, three hours. And finally, an Apache gunship chopper showed up to provide air cover. Scattered the Hajis, but... Smoke clears, and four of my squad are dead in the ditch, two in the riverbed. 
bad and sick. All dead for nothing. You know the most screwed up thing of all? It's when I got back to base that night, I found out that they had shot this stray dog that I adopted. Commander's orders to get rid of all animals on the base. I mean, you'd think we had enough damn shooting for one day, you know? Now, anyway, I, uh, I figured it was time to move on. I heard these guys were looking for someone, and here I am. This is stuff that could be easily fixed in writing, because on the plane ride to their mission, Maggie asked the Liam Hensworth character, how did you meet the Expendables? What's your background? So we as an audience could see how he got in. That's answering the question for us as an audience as well. He goes, I was three years in the military. I've been in for 16 years counting. This guy's been in for three years. And in that three years time, he's done a tour in Iraq or whatever. He became a sniper and not just became a sniper. He became an instructor. Three years. In three years, you're still learning how to wipe your nose in the military. The fact that he could do a tour, become a sniper, and become an instructor, the timeline doesn't work. You would need at least, and I'll, I'm sure I guess some military people, but I could believe it at 10 years. I don't know why they didn't say 10 years. You could have easily played a 28-year-old and joined at 18. So I, there's this little little things like that. Why, why didn't they just say he was in for 10 years? I, why say three? I, I don't get it. I just think you're looking too much into it. Doug, let me say something. Uh, I don't want you to talk because I don't let you talk. So, Doug, let me let me ask you something. <laughs> no, you're a cop, right? Yeah, I am. You have to bring that what? up every time. <laughs> this is shocking to everybody at this point. Well, yes. we, well look, we, to be fair, we might have some listeners who just want to hear the Expendables review. So, when you watch movies and or TV shows, do you not kind of think yourself, "Oh, that's not what we would do. That's not quite how it works." Doesn't that naturally come to you? Yeah, that's. I, I'll give you that. Okay, that does. So I'm in the military. So when I hear somebody say, I've been in the military and this is the kind of stuff I've done, my timeline alarms go off saying, how did a guy who's been in for three years do so much? That's all. It's the, it, all they had to do was take that number and change it to 10 and it would have worked. I, I just don't know why how these go through all these edits and all this like, script doctoring. They don't just say, can we change that number to a 10? I don't know. I, it's just, and in Rocky Five, all they have to do is say six years later – to explain the aging of his child, but they don't do that. Sly doesn't do that. I love Sly, but his concept of time is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we give a, a shout out to a few of the YouTube listeners? Robert Medina. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can comment on what he's brought up there if you want. Yeah, Robert, he was severely disappointed about the fight scene between Jason Statham and Scott Adkins, the guy that gets chopped up in the propeller at the end. Yep. Craig, you must have some thoughts on Scott Adkins. I, I got a feeling you know who he is. Not really. It's funny. When, when I saw this movie in theaters, me and my buddy referred to him afterwards when we were talking about it, the Ben Affleck guy. I thought he was a great henchman for Villan. The fight was really quick. They didn't get as much time for the fight, but the payoff where he gets his head taken off by the propeller is one of those stand up in the theater and cheer moments. I mean, that was just such a great, great way to end that fight. The classic propeller to the head. You know what's coming? I always kind of forget. Oh, yeah, that's pretty brutal. It's filmed so well. Like, the editing is so well that he gets his head taken off by that propeller. And the, and the propeller gets kind of screwed up in the process by that. It's, like, very mm -hmm. well done. I agree. I, I did like that scene. And it wasn't, like, like a close-up shot on his head as it got destroyed. It was. It just happened. It was a quick thing, and then they moved on. If you weren't really paying attention, you wouldn't realize that he lost his head. The first Expendables movie, it almost feels like they were trying to make Jason Statham like the main guy 
or the main character because they had that whole plot or subplot with the girlfriend that was cheating on him and he beats up all those guys at the basketball court. Right. Yeah. And I love those those scenes in that first movie. And and I think Jason Statham is a really solid yeah. performer. But I think in this movie he was used a lot more effectively. You could clearly see he was Barney's number two guy, but he also had some great physical moments, especially the one where they're in the, the deserted city and he's dressed like the priest. Yeah. Uh, I think that was really good. And I think that's the kind of physicality that Jason Statham brings to things. And, you know, I mean, he's had quite a few big movies and Hobbs and Shaw, which comes out in what, a couple of days right. is going to be a monster for, for him and the rock. I've always been kind of disappointed at the fact that he doesn't really get credit as being like probably one of the only legitimate guys making action movies today mm that could really stack up against a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger or a Van Damme or a Lundgren. He also sells the comedy well. He does exactly. those comedy very, very nicely. A lot of the action guys nowadays, they're just, they're great with the physicality. They're great fighters or whatever. But look at like a Ronda Rousey in part three. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about her when we get to it. But I mean, it's cardboard. It's totally wooden. And, right. and Statham is able to do that real physical martial arts or whatever, whatever he does. But he's also a pretty competent actor. Yeah, no, those are all ac- excellent points. Statham is never a problem in these films. I don't think he's ever been a problem in any film. I, I don't ever go see a Statham film, but I'll watch any film he's in. Though I can't stand the crank films. I hate those films. <laughs> he did a movie, I think it was called, was it called Homefront? And I think Stallone wrote it, and there was probably a period of time where he was going to star in it, and he just got too old. And I think that movie doesn't get anywhere near the attention that it deserves. It's Jason Statham, yeah. a script by Stallone, and James Franco's your bad guy. Yeah, it's it's a good film. Yeah. I think it's a straight-to-video type film, and uh, it's great. Well, I saw it in theaters, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, okay. I, paid, I paid $7 or whatever it was. That's great. Did you guys see Expendables 2 in the theater, or when's the first time you saw this? Yeah, I saw all three in the theater. Me too. I did not. Do you see any of these films in the movie? No, I I don't go to the movies, dude. Ask my wife. We haven't gone very sparingly. We have our date nights. We'd rather go out to dinner and have a couple of drinks than sit in a dry movie theater. Weren't you (laughs) hoity-toity? Robert points out that Hobbs and Shaw comes out in August. Yeah, and he also agrees Uh, that that Homefront is a good film. Phenomenal film, he says. I also, my son, uh, Evan, my nine-year-old, is, is messaging me on on YouTube as well. It's adorable. Uh, he thinks his dad's a YouTube star. Yeah. I am a YouTube star, Evan. Don't let these chuckleheads get you wrong. Oh, that's awesome. That's adorable. Regarding Scott Atkins, yeah. So here's some of the flaws in this film. This is kind of the creature that the film is. And I, we're going to get to Van Damme. I, trust me. It's... It's the orgasm of this conversation, and I, and I want to get to him, but I don't want to talk about him just yet, okay? I want to get my hand in my pants. No, I, right, now I'm just, uh, right now I'm just trying to titillate you guys. So Scott Atkins, very accomplished martial artist in real life. Uh, Jason Statham, good, a good like on-screen fighter. So their fight, short, yes, but there's so many different characters that kind of, that kind of square off that they, they can't just... I mean, you can have a three-hour fighting movie, but you also can't, right? The, the fight sequence, though, was well done. I, my understanding was they filmed the church sequence in a church. That was a real church, and they made sure that they didn't damage anything in the church. So all the damage that's done is not real damage. They actually were allowed to film inside the church. They gave permission in, in that uh, local area. So Statham, yeah, he practiced whatever length of time, quite a bit of time, but both fight scenes were filmed in a day. Yeah. Wow. And another interesting tidbit about this film is it was never screened for an audience. 
So the director was very nervous about how jokes would work. And he even said, though, and I think we might have had a different film. He likes what the, how the film turned out. Obviously, it made you know, $300 million. He said that there were things that he would have done a little bit different. Like maybe some of the humor and jokes. He didn't know how they were going to play out in the theater. But they all seemed to be a big hit. So when Arnie came through the wall and said, I'm back, when he came through. I'm back. Hey, don't trench. Crowd laughed, you know, had a great time. When Liam Hensworth's character was killed, the crowd was silent. But he has some really interesting things to say about Van Damme. And I've been a Van Damme fan my whole life, so some of the things he brought up, this is a little bit of a tease for later. Is there a commentary track on the Blu-ray? The Blu-ray is is excellent, by the way. Watching the Blu-ray last night on, on our big living room TV, and you alluded to it earlier about how good this movie looks, this is one of the best looking blu-ray transfers of a movie that i've watched on my tv in quite some time i mean it it's a really well-made film and the other thing ryan is if i'm not mistaken this had a bit of controversy that they intended to make this a really hard pg-13 and the fans went ape shit and they ended up making an r-rated film in post-production mm. and you don't really see any of that i mean some of the blood hits look digital but they look digital in rambo too and rambo was always supposed to be an r-rated movie so i think that's just more um the way movies are made nowadays at no point does it feel like a pg-13 movie that was sort of made an r-rated movie in post-production yeah i love when the heads get taken out like watermelon some of those (laughs) just well the sniper scenes liam he takes like three shots are real clean headshots that just take the heads clean off Mm -hmm. Do you want to tie up Chuck Norris here? Do you want to talk about his face more? Or what do you want to talk about? The other thing that bothers me about Chuck Norris is they sort of bill him as this lone wolf. They call him lone wolf. He's a lone wolf. I travel alone. I, you know, yeah. the, world, the world is my pack. What are you doing here? Moving on. You killed all my business. I thought you were the lone wolf. Sometimes it's fun to run with the pack. <laughs> you got a point. I wish I could help you guys, but I work alone. The Sangs are the lowest form of scum. Shooting them has been a good business. You know the leader is? Yeah, a guy named Verlaine. Verlaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he pretty much controls everything in this area. Mm-hmm. You're gonna need more men if you expect to get out alive. Can you help out? Ah, uh, sorry, Barney. I work alone. I understand. Thanks for showing up. My pleasure. Yeah. And then he shows up 25 minutes later. It was just like, well, no, Chuck Norris didn't want to film with them for however long they would have needed him. So they come up with this bullshit excuse and then bring him back in the climax of the film. To me, that's it was just cheap and lazy. His line oh. deliveries were absolutely yeah. horrible. They, they were bad. You could tell he was out of practice. They wanted to jam the whole Lone Wolf thing in. He only filmed for like two days or if, if it took more than two days, then they were doing something wrong. I know Arnold only did four days worth of filming for his four to five parts. days. Yeah, Bruce did five days. They did a lot of juggling to make sure they got them all yeah. in the same scene at times, which is really cool to see Arnold, Bruce, and, and Sly. Oh, and my Chuck. goodness. That three shot where you see Arnold, Bruce, and Stallone all lined up shooting. If you saw that in 1991, your head would have exploded. Ryan, going back to things that drive you crazy about the military timing and everything, when I saw everybody else line up behind them with their guns pointed at the enemy, I'm like, there's no way they're going to shoot past the front line of guys. No, the Expendables team is waiting at the airport in an open field, no cover whatsoever. 
staggered whatever formation. It looks great on film, but strategically for war, it makes no sense. They're just Never. the only you cover know. they have is passing traffic. Yeah. When they take out all that whole army of guys that are going to kill the slaves too, they yeah, were oh, elevated. Yeah. It's amazing. Over the not, slaves. Yeah, not one slave was killed accidentally by an expendable. So Chuck Norris was 71 in this film, but his face was three. <laughs> in the same vein of shit that drove me crazy was getting off headshots while ziplining through the jungle in the beginning. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's talk about Jet Li. Did you notice he was only in there for a short time? About four seconds. Yeah. Well, there's a reason. The reason was it was just, it was just scheduling. So the scenes with him... If you'll notice, he was always just with Terry Crews and Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren and Terry Crews were flown out with the crew to Hong Kong, and all the shots of Jet Li were actually filmed in Hong Kong. So Jet Li was only with two other people from the first film. And, and I can understand the scheduling. He probably had some other whatever film that he was filming. Have you seen a picture of Jet Li recently? He's aged gracefully. Gracefully? <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate. I guess he has some sort of thyroid issue yeah but he looks like he's 55 but he looks 80 yeah i i understand that you want to take advantage of your marquee names but as soon as you know that jet lee's going to be in the movie for four minutes why not have him be the billy character that gets killed because this is a guy we followed through the whole first movie and if you kill him in the first what 15 minutes of the movie the shock factor would be off the roof Oh, that would have been a. That's a. I never even thought of that, Craig. That's great. So kill Jet Lee, and then the Liam Hesworth character kind of. He's there for the whole ride, and I think that I would. I would have had no problem having that sniper dude for the ride. He was a great character. Yeah. The opening sequence of this movie before the opening credits come up is 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's a great which opener, speaks to, which speaks to your sort of Bond thing because a lot, you know, a lot of Bond movies do that. They'll have the opening scene, and then they'll get to the movie. No, great point. Uh, yeah, it's a great opening, great, great kick-ass opening, guns blazing, uh, over-the-top, again, over-the-top action, one-liners. That's kind of your time to have those kind of fun times, and then then you have Jet Li killed, and it gets dark. That would have been, I think that would have oh, yeah. been a better film. I mean, it's still a great film. I love this film. Let's be honest, it's not a perfect film. <laughs> They've never had the balls to like really play up that Expendables thing. Even in the first movie, you know, Gunner. It looks like Gunner was killed, and then it's like, oh, two inches to the left or whatever, and he lives. And I'm glad he did because he's great in part two. You know, they've never been committed to, like, killing a character that means anything. The reason why they kept Jet Li alive, though, and I have to be honest, is for the Chinese market. You kill him, and you're killing the Chinese market. The uproar, the, the you know, the uproar would have been terrible. <laughs> they killed oh. him. That was bad. <laughs> what did Randy Couture do in this movie? Kill him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cauliflower He's all right. He, he he got better in this film than the first film. His acting was better. Yeah. But he didn't really have anything to do in this movie. No. You got, you got to bring in the, the wrestling fans. You know, that's a whole untapped fan base that Randy Couture brought into The Expendables. There's something for everybody in this. Uh, let's go back to Chuck Norris one last time. <laughs> <laughs> His name, was, his name was Booker, and that's an homage to the good guys wear black, where his character's name was John T. Booker. I have a tidbit that's going to drive you two absolutely insane. Please. This was the first time in 10 years that Stallone starred in a film that he did not direct. Do you guys know what the last film that he did not direct but starred in was? 
What do you sorry, What do you mean by that? Sorry, like yeah. I'm trying to get the timeline here. What do you? So yeah. ten years ago was the last time he starred in a film that he did not direct. Okay, so 2009. No, this, this was, was 2012. 2002. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 2002. He starred in a movie that he did not direct. Was that Veggie and Angelo? Yeah, it sure oh. was. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, yeah. We've talked about that. We'll we'll talk more. All right. So, uh, <laughs> what you don't want to dwell on that a little bit? Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk offline. So, uh, <laughs> okay. You're so really gonna waste offline chat time to avenging Angelo? <laughs> I know. I have a life for Christ's sake. <laughs> That's true. The last thing about Chuck Norris. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Let it go. He picked that joke. That was his pick for the joke. The King Cobra one? Yeah. I read oh. it was his wife's pick. Oh, okay. I read and, it was his wife. And I heard a rumor when this film was being made, and I don't know if you guys can verify this, that he's not a big fan of cursing. And so. I remember that, Ryan. Yeah, you do remember that chatter? So there's yeah. not a lot of cursing in this film. Did you catch that? Though it's an R-rated film for bloody violence, but even uh, I have the Blu-ray right here. I too watched it on Blu-ray there, Mr. Craig, and it's, it's rated R for strong bloody violence throughout. No cursing because of Chuck none, Norris. Because of Chuck, none at all. There's no cursing. He refused to make an appearance, lest the violence itself was t- toned down. Is what I read. No, I don't think it was he cares about violence. It was the cursing. All right. Yeah. Well, there's no cursing. There's a lot of violence. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I always love that idea that cursing's more offensive than people getting their heads blown off. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. What's I more see. damaging to a young, fragile mind? I would love to talk about Chuck Norris's beard. Is anything on him? Like his face looked. I come on. Like I. Why can't we just age? What's wrong with age? What I love about Arnold, he looks aged. Bruce, he looks aged. Uh-huh. Sly got a little bit of work done. Chuck, I mean, he tried to look like he was 55. Dude, you're 71. It's okay to be 71. The only argument you can make is that the character, maybe, I, I mean, I know we've talked about this before. We don't know how old Barney Ross is supposed to be. And we might not know how old Booker was supposed to be. If you do math, you have to assume that Barney is well on the other side of 60, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Sorry, 66 in this film. Yeah. That's not bad. I mean... Slide looks better than your. I get it. He look, and even Chuck Norris has taken care of himself. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just chucking a little chuck at old Chuck there. That's all I'm doing. I'm just chucking a little chuck at him. Vanity is a is a motherfucker, man. Yeah, <laughs> like I, and I love Chuck Norris. Don't get me wrong, but it's just I've never got to do this. I never got to talk about Chuck on the podcast before, so it's kind of fun to talk about him. That's all. Did we talk about Dolph at all? Doug, say something about Dolph. <laughs> <laughs> I could see why he didn't have many lines in Rocky Four. His line delivery isn't the best. He's a bad uh, actor. What? Yeah. So is that why most of his stuff goes straight to video? And I'm and this is, all, this is all due respect to Sean Malloy, and who runs the uh, I Must Break This Podcast podcast. So there you go. There's a plug for you, Sean. And we love your show. I've listened to your show. It's a great show. You do great. You do a great job, but you do a better job on your show than he does acting. Okay? Yeah. He's an athletic person. He's actually intelligent in real life. This is all played yeah. into this film. Like, he's a chemical engineer degree. Oh, and, that was real. Yeah formula that he wrote on the napkin for whatever reason at the bar. <laughs> and he blows his nose into it. I love that. That's a real formula that really works. He went to go check to make sure it worked. And everyone's like, sure, we believe you. But he he went to verify that this crazy formula that he wrote on that napkin was a legit formula. You know what I like about him? I love the character. I love Gunner's character. Mm-hmm. Loose cannon. You know, the, the, the kind of unhinged, crazy guy that everybody's looking at side-eyed when he says anything yeah. anytime he opens his mouth yeah but know. also like super arrogant as well 
Yeah. I mean, he was funny. Mm-hmm. The delivery of his lines was a little, little stiff, a little off. It says here that Lundgren was hesitant to participate in the film based on the first script draft. However, rewrites and additional content for his character changed his mind. Jeez, I wonder how bad the first script was for him. <laughs> the first draft of this movie? Because he, yeah. he, he was supposed to die in the first movie. Yeah. But they wanted to bring Lundgren back for the second movie, so they you know, made him live. They, they already knew before the first movie was even out that they were making a second one. They wanted to keep Dolph in for the second one, so they, you know, had him come back to life at the end. Even in the first movie, yeah, I love the cat. I love his character. No, and I like Dolph. Don't get me wrong. I put a Dolph movie on. I'm watching it, and I enjoy it. They're they're just fun movies, and love it ironically because it's not like of course that's it's an entertainment. It's sports entertainment, as you would say in the movie industry. We know it's not real. It's pretty hokey, but it's just fun to watch. Right, right. He's like this smart, thin, good-looking Steven Seagal film. He, you know, even as an old man, he is he's a good looking dude. <laughs> yeah, no, he's taking care of himself and he looks great for you. He's only in his what mid fifties right now? Late no, he, late fifties now. Yeah, he's gotta be late fifties, early sixties. Because he was twenty four or twenty sorry, twenty seven and eighty five. I and I'm not I'm not I don't have my engineering degree to do that kind of thing. Oh, wow. he's, he's actually sixty one. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Right. early sixties. So good for him. I don't it doesn't appear that he has too much work done. I don't think so. That's it, just a Swedish good look. Scary genetics. That that square jaw. Yeah, because he's got a lot Swedish of wrinkles. Genetics. He's wrinkle heavy. You know, like he's he's got creases and wrinkles everywhere. So he has some really funny moments though. Like when he's sleeping and he wakes up. Yeah, it's good. He's good. He's fun. And then the the sequence where he's trying to light the bomb to blow them out. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> hey, it ain't over yet, kids. I got a plan. Everybody, calm down. Phosphate rock. What's he doing? Probably making a bomb. You serious? Ask him. What you doing, Gunner? Making a bomb. You mind? Maniac with brains. Scary. Phosphate rock. It's got a density of 1.852, melting point 44.2 centigrade. Guys, I want some gunpowder fast. Do it. The man's a chemical engineer, right? And a food bite scholar. Pour it in the pipe. The big man might be on to something. What do you think? Probably not. You some help with that? Let's go. Here, go blow yourself up. Lighter? I want that back. Better get back! This is gonna be loud! <laughs> get back! Okay. Let's go! All right. Better turn around unless you want your head Better cover your ears. Come on. Phosphorus must have been damp. Yeah, right. Or you suck. Is that? Don't cry, Gunner. You almost had an idea. <laughs> I legit thought I was going to go off when I saw the film. Yeah, so did I. With but, his engineering degree, but I thought it was going to blow up, but then nothing. No rocks would have moved or whatever, or something like that. It would be great if they just made some like YouTube shorts or a Netflix show with some of the Expendables on side missions. I would watch Terry Crews and Dolph Lundgren, The Adventures of Gunner and Hail Caesar. I would watch that all day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All these characters are great. There's not one character in the Expendables films, quite frankly, and this is me being honest here, that I don't enjoy watching when they come on screen. It almost worked better as a miniseries like on HBO or something like that. You could really flesh these characters out because I think there's a lot of stories to be told here, quite frankly. 
Yeah. Now, my understanding about Van Damme is that he was approached for the first film, but in Van Damme's style, he turned it down because it's like, you guys are a bunch of losers doing a film about washed-up actors who are in the action genre. That's my understanding. And Sly was like, okay, buddy, like, whatever. And what I love about Sly is he can take people's attitudes. He seems to swallow it pretty good when he gets grief or attitude from other celebrities. Because he literally got this from Van Damme, but he called him again for the second film. And he yeah. reached out to everyone. He reached out to Travolta, Nicolas Cage, Steven Seagal, everyone. And but Van Damme turned. Now that's what I heard. Am I wrong about hearing about that Van Damme, the first one that he turned down? I vaguely remember that. Kind of speaks to the fact that Stallone just knew that Van Damme was right for Villan. Picked up the phone and called him again. And thank goodness he did. Van Damme provides two things for this film. He is a scene stealer absolutely steals this film as the good bad guy makes a film that's you know the joker and the batman's a uh, james bond villain van damme's villain valon was mm-hmm. incre- so good as a character that i was really hoping that he would play a twin one more time in a sequel <laughs> i hate that he died his scene chewing scenes i love them from simon west the director he was saying that when van damme was on set or when he, when they're filming him that he never did the same take twice, the same. They would film him, and he would have a gun in the hand for one scene, and then he would take it out, have the knife. He constantly played with every scene. So was, as a director, at first he was, oh my gosh, what have I done getting this guy yeah, in this film? <laughs> you know? But he said that when he, when he went to editing, it worked. He was able to piece, somehow Van Damme knew, he was able to piece together all these Van Dammeisms. Drop your weapons. No way. Ain't happening. No? Are you sure? I'm sorry, sir, they were waiting. Drop the weapons now. Don't do it. He's a strong soldier. Let's see how strong he is. Do it. No! Don't do nothing, he said! Should not speak. When I fire, his head will be gone. Three seconds. Don't give your weapons. You don't owe me anything. One, two. Don't do this. They'll kill everyone. He's gonna kill him. Et numéro trois. Drop him. I'm impressed. Very good use of intelligence. Everybody stay calm, we'll be done soon, and then we'll be on our way. Bring me that knife. What's this symbol? A lack symbol. This is the symbol of the goat. The pet of Satan. They say, you have a case that belongs to me. Does it? Yes, like your lives. It was lost, he doesn't have it. Last time the case, you will force me to cut his heart out. Do it, you piece of shit. Respect is everything. Without respect, we're just people. Common shitty people. I'm sorry, sir. It's not your fault. Now what? We're both fighting men. 
and I respect that. And fighting men, they don't deserve to be killed like sheep. But respect must be taught. Lie down with your face on the ground until we leave. Don't challenge me. Get down. Are you afraid of me? No, I'm not. You should be. That sequence when he kills the lead up, that's one of the best bad guy sequences in action movie history. I loved it, the way he moved, the way he did yeah. his little dancing moves with the knife, and then he, when he kicks that knife into the chest, that is just, like, brutal. And yeah. He, like, it is one of the most brutal... I love how we actually have a bad guy killing the hostage. Well, and that's the thing I really, really liked about it. It wasn't insulting, and it, it wasn't a cartoon villain. Valan knew his place in life and embraced it. And it's really rare that you see a villain being a villain without it being tongue-in-cheek. Right. And right up until the scene where he sort of offers himself up to Barney Love to it. get killed, you know, he knew that he earned it. He knew that that was how it was going to end for him. And it's a consistency of character throughout the whole film. I want to move on. And maybe that's a sign that they didn't use overuse him because wanting more is a good thing. You leave the film wanting more of him. So it's kind of – that's actually – to withhold what you want is actually a good thing to infill. Because if you give too much of somebody or something, you might be like, okay, we had too much of Van Damme maybe. But the sequence too, when they're in the subway car talking about the plutonium. So his mm-hmm. dialogue was, you know, they're talking about the plutonium, the exchange, where they had to transfer it and what have you and how they're going to mine it. But when he said that, uh, imagine what six tons of plutonium could do. It will change the world. He says after that, he goes, what did he say? He said, uh, that's really interesting. That's really fascinating. What did he say at the end of that? Okay, I know what to do. Good. I want the plutonium out in three days. Three days? I have people ready to pay four million a kilo now. Three days. No more. Understood. Yeah, smart. Imagine if six pounds of pure plutonium is powerful enough to change the balance of the world. Imagine what five tons would do. It's very interesting. Yeah. But that was ad lib. That was actually Van Damme ad libbing. He did his dialogue, and at the end of it, he's like, "Oh, that's really fascinating. That's really quite interesting." Yeah. <laughs> like he surprised himself. Yeah, like he gives the dialogue, but he but he acted in his character. But he goes, like, "Yeah, that's that would that would be really interesting, wouldn't it, folks?" It's funny because remembering his early stuff from the '80s, like Bloodsport and Lionheart and stuff, I don't remember him being a really strong actor. Great, great fighter, great martial artist, but I loved his acting in this. He mm-hmm. killed it, and I found myself asking, and I want to ask you guys this: Who chose the scenery better, Van Damme or Lithgow and Cliffhanger? Because equally great bad guys. For me personally, I enjoyed the because I've been a Van Damme fan since Bloodsport. I'm one of those I can honestly mm-hmm. say that I have like I know he did a couple little films before that, like uh, Black Eagle or uh, No Retreat, No Surrender. He did a couple little films, but his first starring role was Bloodsport, and I have been a legitimate fan of Van Damme since Bloodsport. I have followed his career. I almost did a Van Damme podcast oh, over wow. this one, yeah. And I think there is one. I, I could do one and beat the other ones, but no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But I, and I love Van Damme enough that 
in a different way than still because Stallone, I, you know, obviously he's a how would I say this? It's a different type of art. Like what yeah, Van Damme yeah, provides, yeah. it's fun. It's it's cheap. It's we get it. But so seeing him in this role was a little bit uh, sorry, uh, chewing up the scene, bad guy. Yeah, you could tell that he was having fun playing a bad guy. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And uh, I found myself comparing him a lot to Lithgow and Cliffhanger. That's, That's why yeah. I wanted to pose that question, to you guys, because I, I thought he was great. I really did. It's probably a combination of just maturity as an actor, but then also working with somebody like Stallone, which I'm sure, you know, I don't, I don't think Van Damme had ever collaborated with somebody on that level before. It's people bringing the best out of each other. That scene where uh, Stallone at the end where they're having the fight and Barney Ross says to uh, Villan, he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you to a pulp or whatever, take your life or whatever he says. And then Van Damme goes, Ooh, I'm out of bullets. That's your problem. Not really. You want to kill me like a man? Or you want to kill me like a sheep? So, what's it going to be? Man or sheep? You want a man up? I'll man you up. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That was so good. I guarantee you that was not in the script. I never knew Van Damme was, was such a good improv guy. On the DVD, they del- it's kind of a gag reel, but I wouldn't even call it a gag reel, but it's more of a them being goofy or whatever, or, or scenes that didn't get make a deleted scene even. But they do a lot of Van Damme stuff. They show Van Damme working between these scenes, him kind of just riffing on the character. So that's what how they edit that stuff in. So whether he said it after Sloan actually said that or not, I don't know. But when they did the... You know, like, ooh, you're going to beat me up. I I just love that kind of stuff. Do you guys want to talk about the fight? Yeah. Also, I want to talk about the sunglasses. Yeah. Overall, the look. And anytime somebody wears sunglasses in situations where you don't understand how they're able to see, I love. And I thought, you know, him wearing the sunglasses in in this movie and the scenes he did was really effective. Because when he did take them off, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it sort of opened the window into even more of that character. It speaks to his character and his acting even more when he's not wearing the sunglasses because when they show those close-ups on his face and you could really see his eyes, there's evil behind his eyes. But that's hard for an actor. I mean, I'm not an actor, so who do, what, what do I know? But it seems like that's hard for an actor to portray. But I felt that from him. Like, there was evil behind his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, you seem like you're the expert on The Expendables 2 out of the three of us. Am I understanding right that Van Damme was heavily involved in this fight in the sense that as it was scripted, it was more just running and chasing and Van Damme really lobbied. He was like, these guys have to fight and it has to be a legitimate fight. I'm glad you brought that up. And that is such a great behind the scenes story because Stallone wrote, and I love Sly, but sometimes I'm always bewildered. He has this chance. He's everyone before you saw this movie, guys. Did you doubt that these two were going to go fist to fist with each other? Of course not. But Sly apparently doubted that's what audiences wanted, but not Van Damme. So Sly actually, you're right. The original script had Valon making it to the the chopper. He actually gets to the chopper. And Sly uses that sh- chain, I think, to bring it down or to wreck it. And the chopper crashes with Vlan in it. They don't fight. And so Van Damme sees this. this. There's two reasons why this happened. I'll tell you right. This is my guess. One, 
Van Damme has a huge ego, as all these guys do, and that's fine. That's fine. Van Damme knew this was going to the big screen. This is his chance to be on the big screen again. He's gone straight to video for many years. He's going to go on the big screen, and he's going to go toe-to-toe with, you know, Sly. And he can fight. Say what you want about Van Damme. He can move to some degree, move his fists and legs that... You know, it's been debated what kind of fighting he has or what trophies he has, but I, I understand that he's actually a fighter in real life. He's really trained to do this kind of stuff. And we've said that Sly, Sly's not really a graceful fighter. They, and they play to this in the movie. So Van Damme goes to Sly's trailer during the filming, and the scripts have been made, the shot, the storyboards are created for the sequence. And Van Damme pleads and says, Look, he says, People are going to come to this movie to see us fight, and we're not fighting. There's a line that I love in the fight sequence where he does the roundhouse kick mm-hmm. uh, to uh, Sly's face. He says, over so soon. Over so soon. I want my money's worth. Come on. Get up. Come on right up. We need to get our money's worth. So that's one of yeah. the best meta lines in the film, actually. Uh-huh. I love that line because that is a line that can work in real life. Mm-hmm. But also plays to the audience saying, hey, we came here to see Van Damme and Stallone fight on screen. And we just saw Sly go down with one roundhouse kick. We didn't get our money's worth. Full credit to Van Damme for making the And Sly, to his credit, Sly, like I said, I think we often tease him about his ego. But he does listen to people. He listens, yeah. He's and, not so ego-driven. Right. And he actually and he, right. and he gives credit in the actual DVD extras as well that Van Damme made that choice and he followed it. I was surprised, and I was kind of hoping for to see Van Damme display his martial arts a little bit more. Fair. Like, he had, what, two or three kicks? And, you know, I know you don't want to see your main character get beat up too bad, but isn't that kind of the trope where the main character gets the shit beat out of him? Sure. And then right at the end, he, he comes back for the win. But, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of hoping to see a little bit more of Van Damme's martial arts. But, I mean, those are two really great kicks. He can kick. I love his kicks, man. He can. Yeah. That's really him doing that. And that's why they do it. Yeah. That's his thing. That's his bread and butter. That's his. He does those roundhouse kicks. And that was confirmed by the director as well. But you can see in the movie, it's it's a stunt double taking the kick. I don't like fight scenes these days because there, there's too many cuts. There's not enough choreography that just plays out. There's not enough one shots in, in fights these days. And I wish there was a little bit more of that. I liked the fight scene. It was, it was a little bit close quarters. Yeah. So you, so you needed a, a whole bunch of cuts to kind of get it all in. They could have maybe dragged it out a little bit longer. I think. Well, it's interesting to bring it up and I don't want to talk about expendables three, but just to tease expendables three, I don't hate it as much as people. I actually really wanted to talk about it because though it's a very flawed film in many ways, what made that film so frustrating was that it could have been so much better. But the strong point of that film, again, was the bad guy, Mel Gibson. He was the highlight of that film. And their fight at the end, I think, plays to what you're saying there, Doug, is it was done in a little bit more open space in the light. So we see two guys just, and they both have kind of the same style of just two guys right. duking it out. Yeah, That's fair. Uh, and then the death of Valane, of Valan. With the chain, like, have you ever seen us uh, Sly in a movie using chains before? That was a nice maneuver. But Valan, like, set himself up for it. Like, he let Barney prepare himself with the chains. He let Barney wrap the chains around him with the two equal ends to whirly bird them right at him. Again, I think that speaks to Valan knowing that his end was near and right. he played the part. He did what he was supposed to do as the villain until the moment that he left this mortal coil, which I think is just such a great 
bit of character work. He got the same death handed to him that he gave to uh, Liam Hemsworth's character. He saw the fairness in that, or, you know, he wasn't a coward. No. He wasn't a sheep, right? He was a man. That's right. Was it the same knife? The same knife, right? That's my understanding. Yes. Hats off to Van Damme in this, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, Like, uh, I listened to a podcast called The Franchise. I'll give them a plug. Um, oh, yeah. They do most valuable player for film, least valuable player. Uh, so I don't want to steal it from them, but I will just say for this film, I won't say most valuable player, but I'll say uh, he was the highlight. And I loved everything. Every, like I said, every time he was on screen, I got a little bit more excited. And I was always looking forward to his uh, his mannerisms. And I loved the way he held the knife and he would like yeah. the way he would just move the knife in his hands. Who else could have played that character? If Van Damme said no, I mean, that really speaks to how important he was to the role. Well, there was one person, and I'm really hoping that this individual, I know he's older now, plays the bad guy. Jackie Chan was asked to play the bad guy. Mm. It would have been much different. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't have been been a It would have been a different, I think he would have been a darker character. But Jackie Chan could play a dark character. I saw the Karate Kid. He's he's pretty dark in that movie. No, seriously. Oh, I thought you're being. I thought you're joking. Have, oh, you, seen like, have you seen that Karate Kid yes. with him? Like he loses. He lost his whole family in a car wreck, oh, and no. he rebuilds the car and and break and breaks it down every time he rebuilds it. That's some dark shit, man. Did you see the Foreigner? <laughs> I did not see that one yet. Probably one of the best Jackie Chan movies ever. No word mm-hmm. of a lie. And Pierce Bronson's in it. It's actually a very, very, very good film. I think Doug Lyman directs it. I think. I think. So it didn't do very well at the box office. I'm not sure how well it did, but Jackie Chan playing a playing a, I would say kind of a yeah dark role. Uh, he kills people. It's pretty good. It's really good. How about the airport shoot 'em up scene? That was a little silly, a little much. It was fun. Again. Fun. Yeah. They're literally shooting fish in a barrel. Like here's a bunch of bad guys, and they're just. <laughs> this is the difference between. I, I mean, Spindles One was fun. Also, but this is where all the goofiness of Expendables 2 was displayed, right? In just this entire shootout scene, which honestly, man, I, I loved every second of it. I loved all the corniness of it. I was not bored, I didn't roll my eyes. I there's just a small part of me, it's like, I mean, it was still a rated R violent movie, which I liked, and I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest complaint again about part three was. Mm-hmm. They toned it down for, a, I guess, a wider audience, which I don't know why they would think they would need to do that when this movie made three hundred million worldwide. I don't. I would say younger audience. Oh, you have a PG thirteen. You, you're you got the thirteen to seventeen year olds that aren't able to see an R rated movie, which come on, they are. But you might be kind of gearing it. You still have a lot of the violence, but it's not as graphic. I guess that's what they're. I mean, maybe they were going for for PG thirteen. I guess, but I don't know. I love this shootout scene. All the good guys came together. You know, you see Stallone and Schwarzenegger share the screen again. Yeah, they're all shooting the big guns. And, and Arnold's right. gun that he was shooting, the dunk, 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 dunk sound. Yeah. It just fit his large body and everything. And when he's walking forward as he's shooting, I mean, it really made me miss Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. on the big screen because in the first Expendables, we didn't really get a lot of Schwarzenegger. But this movie, I mean, you. You got a substantial amount of him, and then, of course, he went on to do The Last Stand, which I believe has a preview on the Blu-ray. He was at the top of his game here. I mean, it really was a lot of fun to watch him in this scene. And Bruce Willis, too. A lot of times, you know, I'll tell you that Bruce Willis phoned stuff in, and in this movie, it didn't really seem like 
he phoned it in nearly as much as he did in the first movie. It felt like he was invested in this one. And maybe that's directly related to the amount of money he made for this one. All the scenes he was in, he felt like he was there and he was committed. You know, in the first one, he was just a, a guy who acted hard, demanding and threatening and everything. And then, and then that was it. This, you got to see, A, the lighter side of Bruce Willis. You also got to see him do the action again. Right. Instead of just being the tough talking guy behind the scenes, Barney said something to him about. Like, oh, yeah, he's like, you're the type of guy that has always uh, just been better at, at giving orders. And has than somebody else doing. do your dirty work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But doesn't have the guts to do it himself. And he showed up and he did it himself, man. And I'll tell you, his back and forth with Arnold was the, the great comedy acting of uh, of this movie. Except for the yippee ki yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that was, that was a little goofy. It was goofy. The smart car stuff was great, brilliant. It was beautiful. Sequence. Those fun action sequences I do enjoy. It's clever. Like, I've never seen a smart car in a, in, in a shootout before in yeah. an airport. <laughs> that was, I also want to touch on uh, Terry Crews. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of big guns, I liked a lot that they gave him more to do in this movie than in the first one, too. Which is interesting He's, because they didn't give him anything in part three. That's a shame. Terry Crews is a, a phenomenal actor. Right. He's an asset to that series. Yes. Yeah. I like, think part three relate, was related to, again, scheduling conflicts, I think. So he gets, what, injured in that third one, and then we don't see him for a while. You got to think it's tough, though, to get that many big names on the screen for an extended period of time. These guys are still working actors, so they're going to have other stuff to do. So to get all of those guys together for a big action movie at the same time, shit's just not going to work out for everybody. Well, that's what happened with the Jet Li. It was, he was, yeah, he was legitimately filming a movie. It, it is a lot of schedules to correlate when you have that many named actors, absolutely. So Which when, when they wanted more and Travolta and Nicolas Cage, but couldn't because of scheduling and Jackie Chan, you know, they wanted more, even more guys but that they couldn't fit in. Right. That scene with Bruce and Sly in the in the airplane, did you notice that they were standing like this, you know, eye to eye to each other and head to head to each other? Yes, so I, I did notice that. <laughs> who was on the apple crate? So, Sly, who do you think? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Is there a discussion that it's made that the director, or like, because that shot was done, where they go like, okay, Bruce, we're going to have you on the left of the camera, Sly, give me the right of the camera, you guys are going to be looking at each other eye to eye, now Sly, mm-hmm. you're two inches shorter than Bruce, okay, but we want to make sure that you guys are the same height, so Sly, can you wear your high heels? Like, What's the discussion? Does Sly just do it? Does he wear the lifts anyways? Or? I'm sure that was all worked out with agents and managers and a lot of negotiating behind the scenes. But is there dialogue? Is there actual dialogue where they're like, hey, Sly, don't forget to wear the three extra inches of shoe? I think, just like Tom Cruise, Sly is very conscious of how not tall he is. He understands that when he goes face-to-face with Bruce Willis, he's got to be a little bit taller because Bruce Willis is, what, six foot, six foot one? He's and six feet. 5'10". He's six feet. I six feet, yeah. Sly's 5'10". Sly's yeah, five, so no, Sly's 5'8". No, he's not. Yes, he is. I think he's five ten or even five five eight. Yes, he's a little guy. So that's what I mean. So he is five eight. <laughs> you know, you know what I did notice though. Who's shorter than Sly? Who's shorter than Sly in this movie? Statham. Maggie? Statham. Statham. <laughs> the kids in the village. Uh, Jason Statham. When they're standing side by side in that bar in Bulgaria where that giant guy comes up behind them and they use the brass knuckles. Oh, yeah. That guy was a local. They just picked and, him off on the street. And he was five foot they, 11. Yeah. 
So uh, Sly is oh wow, uh, no, that's in meters. That doesn't do me any good for you guys. Wait, uh, you're Canadian, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you, you should well, know. I know, I know. What's well, one point? <laughs> oh, you can't do the, no, do the conversion. No, I got to do the conversion. Do you know what the conversion is? I do not. I think it's. I think it's like. Uh, well, let me just. Uh, well, it's going to be about five point eight. Like I'm telling you right now, but I think it's like three point four or something feet in the meter. To be honest with you, so. Do you have like Canadian Google? Is your Google different than ours? <laughs> yes, I have Canadian Google. <laughs> Our information's ten years old. Okay. No, no. I mean, like, will it say metric instead of feet? It came up metric for me, and let me just do uh, in feet. I'll say in feet. Wow, Statham is five ten. He looks shorter than Sly in this. Yeah, so oh, Sloan's height, my apologies, Mr. Sloan. He is 5'10", according to this site. I might have done the math wrong. But so he's still about two inches shorter than... So I know what happened. So he was still wearing the lifts in this. Yes, he he the shot with, st- <laughs> with Statham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's two inches shorter than Bruce. So two inches isn't a huge amount, but it's enough that you're not going to be the same height if you're standing eye to eye. Either Bruce was squatting a little bit or uh, I don't know. Reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. They did the trickery for that film, what they would do with, when the Gandalf was with the Hobbits. The Force perspective. That's right. So stuff, they, had, yeah. they, they had Sly going closer to the camera. And Bruce Lee. Right, right. There you go. <laughs> Look, I love this film. See, the funny thing is, one of our sh- shorter episodes is only an hour and 20 minutes long, but it, it, funny enough, when the film is actually fun and there's not much crap to talk about, it's actually, uh, we're chucking a little bit of crap at Chuck and what have you but the film itself is a fun film I could watch this film anytime if somebody threw it in I'm mm-hmm. going to watch it. it it's a fun film great action sequence and again on today's or yesterday's viewing there were things that I've forgotten like as much as I've seen it it's like oh yeah that part was cool that was well and then I saw it on my big screen TV with the uh, 4K TV and it's a good looking movie mm-hmm. and it's very yeah. complete with all the one liners that you would expect in an old school action film too all the characters have them I, I love them all so what are we going to do next, guys? We wanted to do a teaser audience with uh, what the next film will be. I think we're going to put two older films up for vote. Is that what it was? I'd like to do an older, going back to Stallone's roots, like uh, Death Race 2000. Or, uh, <laughs> wasn't, Craig, wasn't Craig put that one like four times? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I tried to get that one. I think the first episode uh, it went up against Copland, I think, though. Oh, yeah, that Copland was a throwaway vote. Is, yeah, it's the top, top five favorite movie of all time for me. It's probably the movie I've watched most. If wow. we were going to podcast about that movie right now, I wouldn't have to watch that movie. Wow. I, wow. I know that movie forwards and backwards. It's a movie that's ingrained in my DNA. I think I've seen it once, so I, I don't know anything about it. What do you think wins out of Paradise Alley and, say, uh, Death Race 2000 and Paradise Alley? Race. I, I think Paradise Alley, oh. just knowing our voters, people hold Paradise Alley in, in high regard. And, and I also think people would like to hear us podcast about it as well and well people picked uh, expendables 2 by two to one margarine i'm actually surprised so i don't think people purposely choose dumpster fires for us i no, i'm not saying that. i'm just saying more uh, the movie they would like us to hear about i mean how many podcasts if you hit google right now if you searched for podcasts that talked about right. paradise alley there's probably a, a lot more podcast episodes devoted to death race 2000 than Oh, Paradise it's a Roger Alley. Corman film. It's a cult classic. Absolutely, it's got the the kill count and all that stuff. So it's <laughs> it's a fun episode to talk about. I think a lot of times with our voting, it's people want us to talk about movies that they might not have a chance to hear other podcasts talk about. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Fair so enough. poor Simon West. He seems like a really nice guy, but he hasn't done too much since this film. 
It's Hollywood, man. Hollywood is a fickle is a fickle beast. Jonathan Howell also wants to point out that Jason Statham is 51 years old. He's a young pup. He looks younger, though. You can tell that he takes care of himself. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he's a beast. Another guy that lets his hair go. Just don't pretend. Don't pretend. <laughs> he's got a great look. He's got a great look. He's got a great swagger. He seems like a guy that's really comfortable in his skin. Robert Medina points out that Nighthawk is Sly's hidden gem. Oh, <laughs> you, no, no, you, I, you got Craig at a loss for words, right? No, I, I know. Uh, I know a lot of listeners are probably nodding their head, in, including Seiko. I, I know uh, our listener, fan of of all our shows, Seiko, is a big Nighthawks fan, right, and uh, there's a lot of Night Nighthawk fans out there. And that's actually one of the ones that I regret us not devoting a full episode to on Slycast. I think that was when we were still lumping eras together. And I think we did that along with, I want to say, like, Victory. But Nighthawks, by all means, Robert, is Stallone's hidden gem. And Nighthawks is another movie that it doesn't have the reputation it should because it's a, a Stallone movie. And that's disappointing. Yeah, boy, that guy can't. I was going to say, that guy can't catch a break, but he's only worth $400 million. So I, I can't. <laughs> if you have anybody else but Stallone in that Deke de Silver role, it would be considered, like, probably on the same level as the French connection or to live and die in LA, that kind of cop movie. It's a shame. You can't say enough good things about Nighthawks. We'll have to talk offline, which ones we're going to throw up, which two will battle it head to head, which winner will come out on top. Jonathan Howell suggested that I watch over the top again. And uh, no, (laughs) give it another chance. You know what? I might, I might die. Well, I will die one. I I will die happy. Never, never watching it. (laughs) You're wrong, man. I got a lot of flack for that one. Boy, people were upset with me. <laughs> Triggered quite a few people. Man, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I try to please the masses, you know, but uh, it's okay. So, you have to be honest. You have to be honest. Yeah, I don't cater. I don't cater. You know what I mean? Maybe if I did, I'd get more listeners, but <laughs> we're losing uh, Craig. Craig. Look, it's 1130 at night for me and Doug, and Craig's over there yawning. <laughs> <laughs> it's only eight. How dare you? You fully adjusted to the time change? Yeah, yeah, I have. How many time zones did you travel through on your 10-day journey? Oh, I guess, well, three, because I went up one hour, then two hours, and three hours. Yeah, so I'm right here with Doug. East Coast time zone, baby. We're not far from each other. Five, six-hour drive. We're going to take uh, Mike's tour in Philly together. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> well, make sure you call up John Rivoli. Is he in Philly? And, John? Yeah, he's in New York, but oh, New York. I swear he got to be related to the people that own my neighborhood bar. Well, the bar is called Rivoli's. <laughs> well, he must be. <laughs> yeah, he's from uh, Lavalette. Okay, he's got to be. I know we're gonna chat with John again, and, and Doug. I know last time scheduling uh, kind of, it sucked. I was so mad. We'll definitely the three of us will chat with John, and I know we've threatened to really make it a, a rocky uh, super show. Get Mike Kunda involved. But you the dream it. would be to do this all together in person at Adrian's. Oh. That would be good. But you know what, Craig? That's actually good. We'll end with that thought. Yeah, we should do add John and Mike. And we'll, we just talk Sly and the Rocky films. Just like a general roundtable discussion. That actually might make for a really good episode. And it, would, and it would set download records. So between Mike and Ryan talking, I don't know how much uh, I'll get in. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just sit in the corner, <laughs> cuckolding in the yeah. corner. I'll just watch cuckolding. 
<laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been a real pleasure just to tie up again. I'm Ryan from the Going the Distance to Rocky Series podcast. You can find that podcast on every podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook. Join all three, please. And I also have another podcast called with, uh, that I do with my brother Ribbon called the worst of the best podcast and we have fun doing that show it's a little bit uh, easier to let's say swallow it's just like 20 30 minute episodes a lot of various topics so if you just like hearing the sound of my voice and different things come mm-hmm. over to, over there and take a listen to that show and i gotta get you guys on and that show one day. first uh, what lab lab experiment done wrong that was a great episode oh thanks guys yeah it was lab experience that went wrong that ended up being successful we're really breaking up here <laughs> i don't know what's <laughs> happening <laughs> I'm Craig Cohen from Slycast, the Sylvester Stallone fan podcast. We're just a podcast that loves to talk about Stallone in a chronological fashion. So we're stuck in the 90s right now, and we're taking our sweet time. Rocky Minute. We have 235 episodes for you guys to binge on. That's every minute of Rocky 1 and every minute of Rocky 2. Getting ready to start Rocky 3, me and my co-host Jason. We're excited about it. We're getting right into the meat of Vane Stallone. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah, I can't wait. Rocky. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure. Don't say anything too bad when I first uh, hang out because i got to end two live streams. So just give it about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Beware, beware. Walk with care. Careful what you do. Well, Mumbo Jumbo's going to hoodoo you. Mumbo Jumbo's going to hoodoo you. Boom-a-lay, 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 boom. To Billy. To Billy. To Billy. Rest in peace.